0: Hi, I'm Paul Shrimpf, and welcome to Microdosing, where we look at small, specific things that represent bigger trends in the business of healthcare. In this season, we'll be talking to product professionals, product managers, product developers, innovation, experience, R&D, and the various titles people go by. It continues to be one of the fastest-growing professions, yet everyone has a different take on it. We likely won't quell any debates, but hopefully we'll walk away with a better understanding of the space and what good looks like. I hope you enjoy. Hi, in this episode, we're joined by Brandon Figoli. Brandon, welcome.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here and uh, chat a little bit about healthcare today.
0: Cool. Let's dive in as we always do. Tell everybody the two-minute Brandon.
1: Yeah, so I'm approaching year 10 in healthcare. I can't believe it. It's been a, a really fun and interesting journey. Uh, I'll bring you really quickly back to probably age three or four. I was certain I was going to be a doctor. Couldn't talk me out of it. Got through those courses in school, was just hell bent on it, despite everybody telling me it's hard or you're going to hate it. Got there and then pretty quickly realized sitting in a library 12 hours a day wasn't going to be enjoyable. So pretty quickly I looked to, you know, what, what can a decently educated person who knows something about healthcare, something about science do? Found myself in a product management role at IBM in their new Watson Health Group. Uh, that's actually where we, we met and got to do some work together, um, thinking about how AI may be able to, in the early days, really may be able to help the, the life sciences space. Um, did that for a couple of years, spent uh, the last five years at a company called Butterfly Network working on handheld ultrasound and how do you bring that into sort of the mainstream. Uh, and the last six months, I've been in a company called Fabric, um, newly rebranded Fabric. Um, really continuing to think about how do we reduce that that burden on both patients and on clinicians. Um, our tagline is give physicians the capacity to care. So not how do you do less, not how do you, do you give less care, but how do we bring tools that really reduce the burden on those physicians and on those patients.
0: That's awesome. I want to get to that in just a bit. And then a a big reason why we're doing this little mini-series on product is there's a lot of people in my audience that are product managers and know the space well or might have a different interpretation of what that is. And then I've got a chunk of people who don't really know what product is. And some don't even have product teams. They're kind of that kind of organization. But I've been asking all my guests, um, really, when we talk about the world of product, how would you define that? What's the 101 on product in your words?
1: Yeah, um, depending on the day, you'll get a different answer from me because I think the role is so varied. On some days you are, you're the chef, you're the coder, you are the researcher, you're the designer. Those are the days I really love, right? That's part of the reason I love the role. On other days, you are the air traffic controller. In a well-built, well-orchestrated machine, everything is running. You have your marketing teams running, you have your dev teams running, you're, you're out helping customers. But I I think the product role oscillates pretty quickly between those. Um, also note, I think it's pretty different depending on what company or organization or sector you're working in. The roles that I've been in have really been that jack of all trades role. I know if you're in some truly tech first tech heavy companies, it can be a, a much more technical role at other places. It's a much more business driven role. And so there's, there's quite a bit of variability. I think product management often falls into one of those catch all terms.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I think you've had some great experiences. And for to your point, everybody defines it a little bit differently. And I've got two spectrums where I kind of at least split it in two areas. One is more experience-led innovation where I'm tech agnostic. And sometimes it's tech-led innovation. And it's things like, what can we do with AI? What can we do with what have you? But would love to have you talk a little bit of how... What you've seen in, in terms of the different genres have you seen in product or the different dimensionalities in product or even myths and realities as we figure out the, the subsectors of the space?
1: Sure. And I think what you just said really summed it up. There's not a lot I can add to that. Um, thinking about the work that I was doing at IBM, I was actually just talking to my family about this the other day, you know, they have a really interesting model. I think it's more of a traditional model of a world where you have a, a world-class research organization. And, and some of those ideas that are coming up may not have a business use case. And there's a lot of work spent in that organization trying to say what the business directives are and tying that into research. But a lot of times it's a research project, it's a very cool technology, it's an algorithm, and we're trying to figure out how does that fit in. Other times, again, it's there's a real business need, we don't have the technology for it, let's go develop that. And then there's a whole lot of companies that are not necessarily, I'll call it technologically innovating, but they're taking a problem and doing it better, doing it simpler, doing it cleaner, using a more modern tech stack. I would put probably 80% of the companies out there today doing that. I'll add one other thing, you know, you asked about myths. I I think one of the myths is that you have to create something 100% new. I think in the two last roles that I've had, they've they've really been in innovation spaces. It was at the forefront of AI with, with IBM trying to bring cognitive computing. And then at Butterfly Network, we were leveraging ultrasound on a chip, so a a new way to create and process ultrasound waves. Um, That was unbelievable, and there was a a ton I learned about innovation. In the role I'm in today, we're we're certainly innovating, but we're we're not doing it from the perspective of, we need to create a net new technology. We are stitching together, and this is actually where the fabric name comes from, we are stitching together different technologies to create a new, more modern, more seamless experience. and those are very different things, but I, I won't tell you one is better than the other. In fact, I think what the last thing I'll say here is many of the companies that are are po- probably doing the best are just solving a problem better. They're not mm-hmm. They're not recreating the wheel.
0: Yeah, my favorite example in that is is Samsung. I, I would argue Samsung's a highly successful business but I can't point to anything that they've created that was truly net new, but I can point to unlimited incremental innovations of something that was already a breakthrough or thinking about the value prop a little bit different differently, but it's a, it's a very good global, successful, quote, innovative company that I don't think does many like new to market stuff, it's all incremental stuff.
1: I mean, th- this one may, may cause some people to hate me, but let's talk about Apple. Um, <laughs> Sure, Apple has innovated on on some things, but but the iPhone, the the iPhone, um, let's face it, BlackBerry created the smartphone, and I'm I'm sure that's not even who created. It. I'm sure there was someone before that. Um, Apple just just did the smartphone better and cleaner, and 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 ultimately won.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and on that topic, and I'm gonna uh, uh, shift gears and kind of the the world at, at fabric here in a bit. But since you've worked with a number of different product teams, would love to get your opinions on the two to three things that you see when you see a good product team or the two to three things that you see when there's a bad product team or a a good product team that's not performing as well as they should be, if that's a a more politically appropriate statement.
1: I think I'll start with the really good ones. Um, I think a really good product team is is not necessarily an expert in anything, Um, is incredibly capable of um, crunching through data and information um, articulating a problem telling a story um, and I think being able I think this is the nuance is being able to get deep you don't necessarily need to know every detail and as I've come up through the product ranks it, it's been a really fun sort of journey to figure out what is the detail that I need to know and not know and I don't need to know what every single inch ticket is but when there's a problem you know snap right into it and be able to unpack that I think to go to the other direction, I think the teams that I've seen that have challenges are the ones who consider themselves to be like strategy teams. And you see those PMs; they're generally very smart people. They generally have a limited understanding of the technology stack, and so while they may understand the subject matter really well, getting stuff built becomes really challenging. You're sort of at the mercy of of your tech teams. Mm-hmm. You know, I think. Um, where i've found a lot of success is being able to just be technical enough just be able to get in the weeds enough to have a good debate to challenge some concepts going one step further you know i have to be checked as well working with engineering partners and business partners who share a same mental model or understanding so that they can challenge me right mm-hmm. i i one of the things that i say the most to my teams is you know this is our spec this isn't my spec i may have yeah. I may own the document. I may have taken the first pass on it. If I write something wrong here, change it. Um, Mm -hmm. My teams probably hate hearing me say this, but all too often I say, I hope I'm wrong. Right? I have have this belief, but I really hope I'm wrong. Because if I am, it's probably going to be easier for us. It it
0: takes a a bit of time because it's easy to say, it's easy to read. But when you move throughout your career, you begin to appreciate how many scars you need to build up before you get to a good idea and getting through the incorrectness in that learning is how you get through the big idea. But rarely if I was to use sloppy hyperbole, have I seen anybody come in with an idea that turns into a great product and it's seamless. There's that learning and those bumps in the road and those skin knees get you to the killer product from a decent idea. So I agree with you.
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, mo- most of these ideas, i I'd say, come out pretty rough. You know, I think there's the idea side of the house. I think there's the execution side of the house. I think, how many potholes have I stepped in on execution? It, it's probably f- certainly more than on the strategy side. I think the strategy side, it, it's a little less binary. I think there's more of, a, okay, we can we can ebb and flow. But But so often, right, I've said, oh, this will be easy, and it takes three times as long or, oh, this will be quick. And it's not.
0: Yeah, no, one of my designers, cause I, I'm more of a strategist, uh, brought it to light to me once he's like, she's like, Paul, you're a strategist, you have a good idea, you frame it and you put it on a PowerPoint slide and you're done. You have to realize I pick up the PowerPoint slide and have to make it work. So like, that's my starting point. And just the, the, the shift of my perspective from that day on was, was dramatic. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I see it all the time, right? We're in a hyper-growth startup and you're, you're constantly in the art of pushing the bounds of what's available and, and being realistic and oftentimes it is the product manager's job to help balance that and you're, you're probably also getting called into those business discussions because ultimately you hold a lot of the vision in your head and um, you sit really between those business and technology teams.
0: Yeah, for sure. And let's talk a little bit about a fabric. I mean, you mentioned earlier, like product really depends on the team you're on, the company you're in, the industries you're on, but in terms of where you're sitting now and as you describe um, your team to others, or if you're hiring um, in those spaces, how do you describe your needs and the way that your product teams run at fabric and the stuff that you're making?
1: I think one of the interesting things at fabric is I I sit on our core product team. Um, We've had a couple of acquisitions. And so, Right now we are working to bring those worlds together. I think in terms of what's really working well for us, we are a pretty small and nimble team. We move quick. Um, we're not afraid to break things. We're, we're all incredibly responsive, and, and so that makes that possible. As I think about our growth, many of the qualities I've already spoken about, right? Thoughtful, articulate, able to um, consume and process and, and crush through just a lot of information because we're always receiving information. I think, One thing that that might be just a little bit different in the healthcare space is having some of that domain knowledge. I'm the biggest proponent of you don't necessarily need a ton of domain knowledge to be a good product manager to start, right? You'll, You'll develop that. Given where we are in the healthcare space, just the way that these organizations function, a healthcare organization functions, the integrations that occur, having some idea, coming in from being a PM at Facebook or a or PM at Amazon into the healthcare world, um, I imagine is not impossible, but certainly will come with a with a high barrier to entry. And to even not, not call the kettle black, right? I'll even blame myself. When I got to Butterfly, so uh, five and a half years ago at this point, coming from IBM, where the product role is much more a business role than a tech role, I got completely crushed for the first, let's call it eight or 10 months there just because if I had to learn the environment, the domain and and a whole bunch about how the system works.
0: That's great. I'd love to kind of actually close in that space, but if you were to go back and tell your younger self that Brandon walking into 75 Benny street many years ago, what would be one, one piece of advice you'd give him?
1: That's a, that's a great question. Um, one of my old bosses and mentors at IBM, um, she used to always say this to me. She used to bang her hand on the table. She used to say, ask more questions. I would say, this is probably X. And she would say, I don't know, ask more questions. And I I think, you know, something maybe I should have said before, but being a product manager is really about just asking questions until people say, stop, you are annoying me. Why does it do this? How does it do that? And then when they tell you, ask again and again and go deeper and deeper until you've peeled the layers of the onion off. I, I had a conversation this morning uh, with a doctor and I was asking him about his workflow in an emergency department out in California. And we just kept going deeper and deeper. And he was like, you're really down to the minute here. And I was like, it, it's important for us to really dive into that, into that workflow. Um, you know, there's been uh, a number of different product experience that I've had the, the IBM one was certainly not, I would call a traditional product experience. It was a, a small tech startup and a huge company that was trying to find its footing. But I honestly wouldn't change anything about that. I tell everybody I got my big company MBA there. Um, understanding how that research arm plays in, how the consulting services arm plays in. I got to build some cool tech. All of that leads into, I think, how I think about companies today and engage with companies. and. As I've gone to Butterfly was a smaller company, Fabric was even a smaller company than that. As I've done that, I've, I've been able to bring those lessons with me. I'm a big proponent of no, uh, you know, no experience is a bad experience.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's a good spectrum because I've I, I normally play in the larger organizations, and sometimes I've I, I park myself mentally off the side going. It's easier to ask for a million dollars from venture capital than it is to get some new ideas started in some larger enterprises, just because the DNA and the decision-making and the risk appetite tends to be just very different. Like venture capital normally wants to see a startup. They want to see some kind of return. If you're trying to do a startup within a large enterprise, EBITDA is a very big driver and there's a little bit more risk aversion. But those crucibles all kind of yield different needs from your product teams, which I think has been good for you to see over the years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've seen companies go public now. I saw Butterfly go public. I worked on that. Um, I, I saw IBM, as you mentioned, in a world where they were trying to bring, you know, very quickly. I think one of the things that changed was they were trying to become EBITDA positive very quickly, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily taking into account the dynamics of the healthcare world and sales adoption cycles and innovation cycles. So um, yeah, it's, it's been an unbelievable journey.
0: Yes. Awesome. And thanks for just taking a few minutes to, to share a slice. I appreciate you, you taking the time.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me. Anytime.
0: Thank you for listening to Microdosing. For more thoughts, perspectives, and opinions like this, go to www.md-pod.com. For media professionals, while I am flattered, please do not reach out to pitch your ideas or to interview your clients. This might confuse people, but I am not a media professional. Microdosing is not a revenue-generating podcast. I'm an operator, advisor, and investor. This is how I make my income. Conversations with experts is just how I learn, and podcasting is a simple way for people in my network to learn from one another. This podcast isn't about making money. It's about learning, sharing, and allowing ourselves to have a little fun along the way. Until next time, cheers.